You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. In the world of what we focus on in playoff basketball, game two in every series seems to have so much meaning because game two is about adjustments. What adjustments are made? How does everybody work around it? And what's it mean for the final result? We saw that last night. When we were with you last, Cliff was working with us and he was incredibly confident that there'd be no issues for Philadelphia. And it turned out, at least last night, he was right. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests tonight are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And over the course of the next couple hours, we got some doozies. I'm just saying the Goodyear Hotline is stacked tonight. But we're going to start with some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And Sarah... It felt back and forth. It felt like early on the 76ers were just having their way with the Hawks. Then the Hawks come back. I think maybe we're going to get a game. Turns out not to be that. Philadelphia came out and said, okay, you got us in game one, but we're not afraid. And they absolutely did what they wanted to down the stretch against Atlanta, who had no options or no answers, I should say. Yeah, Tobias Harris came out hot and then... Even in the midst of our show, we were watching Joel Embiid get his knee kind of looked at on the side, wondering if it was going to be a problem. Not much of a problem. Quite the performance from Embiid and maybe a little bit of a niggling in the back of his head that they had just announced that the MVP was not him, but instead Jokic. Maybe he came out with a little extra fire because of that. But as Brian Windhorst said last night on SportsCenter with SVP, this is the key to this team, not just doing well in the second round, but how far they can go. It's all about what Embiid's done this year and what, what he'll be doing in this postseason, and he loved the performance from Joel. I know that not all meniscus injuries are the same. I know that some need surgery and some maybe two, three weeks of Advil and ice, and you can be okay. But I did not expect Joel Embiid to be this type of player in this series. I mean, okay, you see 40 points and you know, double-digit rebounds. That's damn impressive. When you actually watch this game, his physical activity, the way he was moving offense and defense, the way he was sprinting end-to-end, the way he was beating double teams, feeding his teammates, I mean, this guy looked at the top of his game, and really, I know this is an important game. The Sixers lose this game, they're in trouble. I don't want to look past this game. I don't want to look past Shake Milton. But the Sixers had no chance to win the Eastern Conference, much less the title, unless Joel Embiid was MVP Joel. I thought we might not see that again unless they got to the conference finals. MVP Joel, I know he didn't win it. MVP Joel showed up tonight, and it's a huge, huge sign for the rest of this series. Well, and Sarah, it speaks to some of the adjustments that are going to have to be coming through the first two games of this series. Embiid has 79 points, 51 of those with Clint Capella as his primary defender. Like, that's just not working like that matchup is not working at all and at some point you've got to look at it at Atlanta and say what to, what can you do to adjust because the other thing that really stood out last night the 76ers made 82 percent of their uncontested shots which is alarming I mean that is a great mark by them but 23 to 28 when nobody was in their face so uh, when you're letting them live live open and they're actually chiming they're cashing in on it at some point, you've got to make some defensive adjustments. So Atlanta's got to go back to the drawing board now and say, okay, nothing is working. We've got to change it all. That's the way playoff series work, though. Yeah, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. On the other side, we saw the adjustments that we needed to see from the Sixers. We talked a lot about green on Trey. We talked a lot about how that wasn't going to work. And now we're seeing um, that there was a mix of people. And I talked about Tobias Harris being so strong in the beginning of the game offensively. Well, he also was super important in terms of keeping Trey Young in check, um, especially in their coverage of the pick and roll. This is where Young was feasting. Uh, He had 35 points, 10 assists in game one. They held him to just six for 16 
uh, for 21 points, 11 assists, four turnovers. It's not about shutting Trey Young down. That feels impossible. But it is about containing him. And they figured out how to use the right mix of defensive players on him uh, to keep him contained. And then you see someone like Joel go off. And that's going to be a, that's gonna be a recipe for success if it's something that they can keep game to game. It's my favorite part about this entire process is watching how each team tweaks what they're doing, their approach every game. That being said, by the way, we're giving you some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. That wasn't the only game last night, and we got all kinds of drama from a game one last night that at times for the Jazz looked like it was just going to go off the rails. I thought the Clippers were just going to run away with it, and then the Jazz come back behind just a, a great night by Donovan Mitchell. They get the close win and the epic finish. Paul George had a night to forget, and it really felt like the Clippers sort of fell apart in this one, which... Only felt shocking to me because we've gotten so used to, over the last few days, seeing the Clippers team with their backs up against the wall, find a way to make every <laughs> shot, and they just didn't you were in this shocked. situation. You were shocked. You let the, the Clippers convince you that they could uh, – You okay, you believed in, I don't know, say <laughs> – Paul George is someone who would be able to consistently show up night in, night out. Pandemic P, playoff P, the man who is uh, up there on the list of players to have the most playoff game shooting, 25% or worse. He is third on the list with his 10th playoff game shooting 25% or worse. Uh, I was not shocked to see the Clippers clip. Now, I will say it is important to note that they were coming off a seven-game series, a really tough series against the Mavs, and they were a little tired. And what we saw was a Utah team that did not give up when they got down, sometimes by double digits, that came out strong in the second half, and that mentally knew that if they could get one up on the Clippers, they might be able to take them out of the game. And here's what we actually heard from Donovan Mitchell, who was mic'd up last night. We got to hear the sound of him telling his team, just ride this out long long enough that they decide this one's over. They played game seven two days ago. It's all how we start this quarter. They'll call it quits and get ready for game two if we make them. Let's get ready for that. Shots fall, shots don't fall. Keep being the monster. We ain't going to get nothing the next four. We ain't going to get nothing the next four. Stay locked in up here. I love to hear it. And I love watching Donovan Mitchell. The talent is unbelievable. And he's rising up to become the guy that, you know, has been so fun to watch. And... Uh, you know, you, you see this and you think to yourself um, that this Jazz team might really get this done in a postseason when there were a lot of questions about whether they were just a great regular season team. Well, and Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, one thing that I, I was thinking of you as I was looking at Twitter last night during the game, and early in the second half I saw people tweeting, oh, man, you better look out. Now that the Mavs haven't eliminated the Clippers, nobody's going to stop them. And I kept thinking, it feels a little early. Like, it just feels a little early <laughs> to call this the, the game or the series done. Uh, speaking to the point of what Donovan Mitchell was just saying right there, I mean, there is some logic to, hey, we know that they're on the ropes and they're tired if we can just get this win. But uh, I, I think it is concerning for Paul George to have that sort of a terrible outing. And, I mean, uh, our stats and info group uh, pointed out smartly, not only was he 4-17, uh, from the floor, which, it, by the way, if you're keeping track at home, isn't good. He was 1-9 and nine on two-point field goals, also not good. But this, he also allowed the Jazz to shoot five of uh, five of, out of 11 as a primary defender. No steals, no blocks. Mm-hmm. Like, he was a liability on both ends of the floor for somebody that has been given a lot of the hype that comes with being a 
I won't say a superstar, but a a big name uh, star. He's supposed in to the be NBA. a superstar. Right? He's getting I mean, paid like a superstar. You can go ahead and say superstar, even though he's not living up to that. And you're right on the defensive side. One of the biggest questions coming into this game was with Conley out. How much does that slow down Donovan Mitchell? Because they can really key on him. They can send Paul George after him. They can send Luca at him. They can make Donovan Mitchell feel the real pressure and stress of being the focal point of that defense with the very best defenders taking him on. And guess what? He was outstanding, especially in the second half when it matters the most. Now, of course, like I mentioned, you see what happens in Game 2 when they are a little bit more distanced from that Game 7. They have a little bit more rest. They get a different approach to the game. But I was really impressed by not only the Jazz sticking with it early on when they were down, but then mentally knowing how to approach the second half, and especially Donovan Mitchell, just so strong. I think now tied with or almost tied with Carl Malone for the most 40-plus point games in Jazz history in the playoffs. That's incredible. Yeah, and I keep looking at it feeling like the Clippers have one method right now, and that is, you know, Kawhi stands at midcourt, raises a sword, and screams, I have the power, turns into a full (laughs) He-Man, and then all of a sudden you can't stop him. Other than that, everything else that they've got there is questionable at this point. So, great game. I guess that would make uh, Donovan Mitchell Skeletor? Uh, Well, that would probably, I, you know... As long as nobody came in, it's like Shira was underrated and all of that stuff. Shira was amazing. Did Skeletor uh, have the cat, or was that someone else? No, that was somebody else that had the cat. Skeletor, okay. Skeletor, no cat. Uh, we, we, this is the most He-Man deep dive anybody's going to get. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I was ESPN more of a Radio. Thundercats girl anyway. Oh, uh, uh, Thundercats was a delight. I'm telling you. Yeah, I got into He-Man for like two seconds, and then I realized that I was just a Transformers guy. All right. Who's the evil villain with the car? I'm going to find out. The internet's going to help me. Listeners, help me. Who is the evil villain cartoon with the cat? On the lap. Who was oh, was that? Wasn't that Inspector Gadget? Mm, Inspector Gadget. The, the bad guy had the cat in Inspector Gadget. That's probably Gadget. who I'm thinking of. That okay, is probably see, who I'm thinking. Yeah. This is the analysis you can only get <laughs> no, on Spain and Fitz. All right, we'll also talk oh, about some right. NBA Dr. action. Dr. Claw. Look Dr. Claw that. had the pet cat. Da, 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 da. Inspector Gadget. Next in da, da, da. Nets and Bucks <laughs> resume tomorrow night. Do the Bucks have it in them to make this a series, or are they going to keep embarrassing me every single time I think <laughs> about what I've said about Milwaukee? We'll break it down next on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Of course, the NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night. Game three, the Bucks host the Nets, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. That's why, by the way, uh, over the course of the NBA playoffs, if you haven't subscribed to the Spain and Fitz podcast, you can and you should wherever you get your podcast because it's a great way to make sure that uh, whenever we're on, you can have it and hang out with us. So uh, always important. And uh, we won't be with you for the next couple of nights because there is NBA action. One of those, as I just mentioned, Nets, Bucks, and Sarah, like I'm just I feel like I'm burying my head in the sand at this point. I'm just sort of like, (laughs) I'm like a kid that watched too many horror movies and now I've got my head like just out of the blanket. That's how I feel when the Bucks are on TV tomorrow night. Like, I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, I I am. You're scared to come out. They scarred you. Like, I'm going to need somebody to tell me whether it's safe and tell me, you know, has Michael Myers left the building? Like, that's what's happening here. Like, I'm the idiot that's running back up the stairs when the door is right there and I could run out. And that's what's happening when I watch the Bucks because what has happened through the first two games, it's not only it's an embarrassment, ugly. but mm-hmm. if the Bucks don't come out with some level of thunder of the gods in game three, then it just tells you that there's a disconnect and people don't care as much as I want them to. That's all I can make of it. Well, I don't know if it's not caring fits, but I think uh, they're going to care, especially in this game, because there are jobs on the line. Mike Bodenholzer's job is 100% on the line. Like, there were already a lot of questions about him after the last couple seasons, they beefed up in the offseason to the point that people were much more optimistic, and it's been it's been ugly. And, you know, 
I, I mentioned last night that I'm curious to see whether the Nets are as effective against another team, assuming that they win this series, because a lot of prisoner of the moment takes about this being the beginning of a dynasty. And I'm not saying that's not possible with the superstar power that they have, particularly behind Durant playing the way he has. But it's also been such a lopsided coaching matchup that I'd be curious to see how other teams might deal with a squad that's been historically bad defensively for a favorite. That has not been exposed at all because the Bucks are letting them dictate play. And so I don't want to get to the point where we see them just roll through the Bucks and then suddenly get challenged at the next level. I'd like this series to be a challenge, but a lot of things are going to have to change. And I don't know if I can tell you that it's safe to come out from under the covers. I will say this, though, Fitz. I've heard a lot of commentary be based around the body language of the Bucks in the second game. And to your point, people thinking maybe they don't care enough or whatever. I don't think that's the case. I think when you're getting the doors blown off you, you don't have many options. You can't smile and laugh, right? And everyone's going to say, why are they smiling and laughing? They're getting torched. You, you can't look upbeat in a in a beatdown. Uh, that sounds like a tagline for like a motivational poster with a cat. You can't look up upbeat in a beatdown. Um, so I don't, I don't blame the body language. That game was over. Put it behind you and move on. Now let's see how they look tonight. That's a different story. Well, and I totally agree with what you're saying about body language in the sense that also when you're getting the doors just blown off you in a playoff matchup, like I I have no problem going into power saver mode. Like they're throwing you're like, you know what? We're just going <laughs> right. to walk our way through the rest of this I'm going to need and, this for the Uber home, yeah, so I, I mean, don't need my phone on while I'm getting hammered at the bar, but I'm going to need it later. <laughs> and, and you're totally right that it's it's unfair for me to say doesn't care. What I'm looking for is what I, like I identified last segment, talking about what got us into cartoons, right? Like He-Man, that moment from mm-hmm. Kawhi where he says, I have the power. I'm looking for that level of urgency out of the gates from the Bucks against the Nets because there is so much on the line, because there was so much into this season, and because everybody knows uh, sort of the narratives they're trying to push back on. That's why I guess I'm not looking for a win. I'm looking for an explosiveness of energy that you look at it and say, wow, okay, they brought it tonight, and some sort of adjustment, because anything short of that, they're just going to get railroaded again by the Nets. And that's, uh, you know, I will say this, though. I'll, I'll at least peel back a little bit on the dynasty talk because it's not that long ago the talking heads were sitting there saying that the problem with the NBA was AD and LeBron together were going to equal championship after championship after championship. And now here we sit saying, oh, no, this is the new dynasty. Like, I think we can cool that a little bit. There is another matchup, by the way. Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. Nuggets taking on the Suns. Uh, and that, I feel like it's the forgotten series. Like, at, at this point, the Nuggets and the Suns have been great, and I'm not sure what makes everybody jump up and down and scream and yell and say, oh, my God, I have to watch it. This is the one series that I feel like it is more forgotten than any other series right now in the playoffs. I don't know if I agree with you on that. I think there's just a little bit of an adjustment after the crazed focus of Lakers' Suns. Um, it's never going to feel quite like that. Um, and now that it feels like Chris Paul's injury is manageable and that he's able to be really successful despite it, we don't have the will he or won't he or will he you know, be able to go kind of questions. Um, I do think it's fascinating to look at the reactions to that game one, right? Uh, Michael Malone felt he described it as sort of deja vu, the way that they lost to the Suns in game one, comparing it to their loss to the Blazers in game one of their first playoff series, a soft mentality. You know, I don't know how you fix that, but the idea that his team isn't coming out aggressively in their first meeting with the team 
Um, a lot of missed assignments, not communicating with each other, not going for hard fouls. And that's a nice thing and an easy thing to say to get your team up for game two. We talk about this a lot, right? The response to losing game one of a series is almost always, well, they came out the more aggressive team, even if they weren't. <laughs> it's just like the thing you say, the same way that if you get down 0-2, you always say, well, they did their jobs, right? They won both the games at home. Like we hear these responses, they don't mean much. So I, I'm curious to see tonight... Will we actually see that manifest in the way that the Nuggets approach? Will they be hard fouling when the, when the situation calls for it? Will they have better communication and not give up so many easy corner threes and stuff like that? Or is that just lip service for we were worse, they were better, we don't really have the answers yet, so let's just go with soft or you know, less aggressive? I love the concept of a team coming out and saying, hey, you know what? We were not outworked. We outworked them and still we, lost by a bunch. So we were more this, aggressive, this, but they were better at basketball. Uh, I mean, the we Suns didn't get any won, points the, for fouling, they, but they got points for putting the ball in the <laughs> They're four straight wins at this point, but by an average of 17. Now, uh, you know, let's be real. Part of that's because the Lakers did not really put up much of a fight. But, my God, I mean, the way the Suns have played uh, has been absolutely incredible. And it feels like it's been this massive coming out party for Devin Booker and uh, you know, it, this that's part of the great story of what we're seeing right now throughout the course of the playoffs. I mean, I, I for one, will look at it and say, hey, getting to see more of these young guys sort of step up and become the guy is absolutely one of the coolest things that we're, we're living through in this NBA playoff. I just don't know that the world yet has really adjusted to the concept that the Nuggets or the Suns could be repping the West in the NBA Finals. That's all, Sarah. I agree, and Spain and Fitz here, Spain, Jason Fitz. In addition to the young stars that are really fun, I like Chris Paul getting some shine for how great he is because I've I've said the stat before, I don't have it in front of me, but every team he's showed up on has gotten infinitesimally better, and we don't often give him quite the flowers he's deserved, so it's fun to watch that. I can't even imagine how long it would take me. I would need Google to speak infinitesimally. Uh, yeah, that, that's why <laughs> I don't. You got it. That's why that I don't do good. that for it. I, I almost made it through it. All right. Uh, we'll keep you updated on the games tonight. But coming up next, one of our favorite experts joins us, Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I did use the word correctly in terms of pronouncing infinitesimally right, but I used it incorrectly in terms of what it meant. I meant to say infinitely, like innumerable, but instead I said infinitesimally, which means very small. And Chris Paul has very clearly affected teams in innumerable ways, positively. Uh, My bad. But I did put it up on the poll. Can you confidently say the word infinitesimally? And secondarily, can you use it correctly? Unlike me, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80, also subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Uh, we're also talking a lot in the breaks about cartoons and Inspector Gadget. So I also put up better theme song, Inspector Gadget or Pink Panther. It's a deep cut for the olds, but uh, go ahead and vote. Um, everyone's got a cousin from Boston who forgets their wallet at dinner, but never forgets a sixer of refreshing Sam Adams. Cheers to that. The Boston Beer Company, Boston Mass, savor the flavor responsibly. We are savoring the Women's College World Series, and Game 2 is on right now with Florida State up 2-0 on the number 1 seed, Oklahoma. Before the show, because Jessica Mendoza is calling that game right now, we checked in with her. We wanted to talk to her about all sorts of things, uh, College Women's World Series. So uh, she joined us on the Goodyear Hotline just a little bit ago. We're going to get to the actual games because Game 2 tonight is a big one. But I want to talk about the massive growth of this sport in the last couple years. In terms of revenue and ratings, it is the fastest growing sport in all of college. In the last decade plus, revenue has gone up 340%. It's blowing up, and you've been a part of it for so long, including your playing days. I wonder personally how you've experienced the growth over the last few years. 
You know, it's emotional almost. I mean, like we've seen, obviously, the stadium now has grown here. We have 13,000 fans, sold out crowds. I mean, I remember, you know, of course, then you, you feel old because, you know, back in the day when I played, like, you know. <laughs> but this is still the mecca. This is where you wanted to be. I mean, the fan support, just the crazy amount of, you know, just energy around the sport was always here. Um, people always loved it, watched it, um, but to actually see that catch on with those that didn't know, you know what I mean? It's like almost, like we've had the secret sauce. Like we knew the game hasn't changed <laughs> as much as it has. It has gotten to more people, and I get so many more texts, especially now doing baseball from like all my baseball friends that are just like, "Oh my gosh! Like I had no idea! Like these women are so passionate. They're so athletic. They're so." Like, they're so good at executing all these different plays. And I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. So, like, where have you been? <laughs> like, the sport hasn't changed. It's just what I appreciate now. And honestly, even watching ESPN today, like, prepping for the game, the amount of promotions for the game, like, marketing, just getting it more visible. And and that's the growth that I appreciate because the game has always been great. And it's it's an awesome, it's such such a faster paced game than baseball. It's like all the things that people, you know, complain about with, with Major League Baseball, how slow it is. Like this game is so quick, so fun, so passionate, so emotional, all the things. But um, we've had it and now just more people get to see it. You mentioned sort of the visibility of it. What changed in the efforting to make it more visible? I think just an understanding that this is that people want to watch it, that the more effort that was put into it, the numbers were there. And, and that's what I mean, for the longest time, like small things like, uh, for example, we were always battling against our Monday, our finals were always Monday night and Wednesday night. And we were up against Major League Baseball games and we were always on ESPN, too. And so even from our own company standpoint, we would outrate the Major League Baseball game year in year. We're talking like 10 years in a row. But we were always on two, and Major League Baseball was always on one. And finally, three years ago, they decided to switch that and be like, wait, like this, this thing isn't just like a one-off. Like, oh, well, this year it happened outright, and next year it happened. It's like, let's actually put it on number one. Let's actually put it out there. And I just believe that there's been more people that are visible talking about it. I mean, just for the teases alone this week, I mean, we've had Billie Jean King and Megan Rapinoe, one of, they asked us if they could voice our teases for the World Series because they've been watching and they've asked, how can we help? How can we be a part of this? Um, you know, Elena Deladon, Kaylin Ohashi, like all these great female athletes are promoting it and talking about it. And that has helped the growth of the game. And, and Sarah, you know this, like we've seen just women's sports elevate in the last mm-hmm. five years. It's, it's trendy. It's cool to know your stuff. Like you don't want to walk in a room and not know what's going on with the Women's College World Series. Yeah, 100%. And so much of that is ESPN having the rights, putting it on, and people getting a chance to see that the sport is exciting. Jessica Mendoza is with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio. So there's all this progress, and, and there's tons of progress to be excited about. But, you know, there's also a lot of conversations about the, the the discrepancy between the treatment of the men's and women's World Series. And it's especially noteworthy and especially ire-inducing for me because it's a fairly level playing field, almost the same amount of viewers. The revenue on the women's side is skyrocketing, and yet you're still seeing these massive differences in what the NCAA is willing to invest, both length of time, and that that's how much hotels and meals and everything cost, and also in terms of just perks and stuff. And I don't know what person could possibly release a statement arguing any reason that the women should be treated differently than the men in this sport. Absolutely. And yet it's ridiculously different. Um, I've covered Omaha for a long time. Been at the Men's College World Series. Love that event, by the way. So awesome. They have triple the amount of money 
And it's not even that. Like, my biggest thing this year, Sarah, is that we have the same exact format as the men and the same amount of teams and yet half the days. Yep. So we ran into that huge this weekend because we had Florida State playing until almost 3 o'clock in the morning. We literally have 14 games slammed into four days before you even get to the champion. Like, wrap your mind around that. We have three days that are quadruple headers, four games in a day. So God forbid weather, we get a rain delay, we get lightning, like we're in Oklahoma City, like it's going to happen every single year. And now you're forcing these players to be out here and literally getting three hours of sleep, come out the next day and try to perform. And that is beyond frustrating. When you see, I've been in Omaha and you have literally golf days, you have massage days, you have all these off days so that the pitchers can rest because God forbid they have to go out there without, you know, having a good night's sleep and having the proper days to prepare for the biggest stage of their lives. So that's what I'm pushing for. Yes, we want more money, more support, all of that. But most importantly, these women just deserve the same amount of length of time. You don't even have to make it 12 days. We don't need massage days or golf days. We need actually just time to play the game and allow these women to showcase their athleticism without being purely exhausted. We're talking to Jess Mendoza on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Do want to get a little in with the actual games we saw last night. Game one, the Knolls rolled the top-seeded Sooners. So what's Oklahoma need to do in game two? You know, they have to score early. They've got to be able to score first. I think what Florida State did is they went out and they – they put down the gamut early. When you're talking about championship time and you're, you know, Florida State, they scored the big home run. They were shutting down Oklahoma early. Now, Oklahoma's so dang good. And, and let's be real, they, they lost two games in the regular season. This isn't a team that's ever had to doubt. But all of a sudden, you get into the later innings and you're still losing. And before you know it, Florida State has an eight spot on you. The pressure starts to come. I don't care how good you are. I don't care the offensive numbers, all the things you know you can do. So I think for Oklahoma, they need to reverse that. They've been so good at winning late in games, but that's not going to be their story tonight if they want to win. They have to be able to score first, put the pressure back on Florida State, and not have it on the number one team. Jess, you know, this has only happened once, I believe, where a double-digit seed has won the whole thing. It was actually Oklahoma when they were a double-digit. So how big would it be? For FSU, for the program, for the parity in the sport, if they won this? So, I mean, I'm slightly biased, not on team, but on coach. Lonnie Alameda, I played for her at Stanford. She was our assistant coach. I know her well. I know how she coaches. I can't even begin to explain to you how not good this team was in the regular <laughs> season. Like, watching them. And they would be the first to tell you. This is a team that finished fourth in their own conference, okay? They didn't even make it to the conference tournament championship. We didn't even know if they'd be in the postseason. I mean, they were not doing anything right. And to see them find their way now, this is the stuff you preach, the cliches, right? You start dropping. It only matters when you get to the end, you know, all that stuff. They really are that team that kept putting in the work, putting in the effort, showing up early, getting to wait. Hey, we're not, we're sucking right now, but it doesn't matter. We're going to come out tomorrow and we're going to try. They didn't give up all that stuff. And now here they are. So like, it's hard, you know, you always kind of have that part of you that loves the underdogs, but they really are that team. When you look at all the stats that Oklahoma is, I mean, this literally Oklahoma's offense is probably the best team we have ever seen in the history of the sport. And you look at Florida state and they're like 200 batting average and like, their inability to even have offensive numbers, but here they are putting up eight runs in the first game of the championship. And I credit that to Lonnie Alameda. I mean, she is one of the best coaches. And to me, that's coaching is when your players aren't performing, figuring out how to still get them to believe 
and perform on the biggest stage. Well, she and others have really emerged throughout the course of this Women's College World Series. Some some star-making turns from a number of ladies, including some that have gotten bounced, but people are still talking about them. So congrats to you on helping elevate their stories and making this such a fun watch. And uh, enjoy the game tonight. Thanks for the time. Thanks, guys. And I would never tell you to go watch Jess Mendoza instead of listening to the show, but I might recommend that you turn it on ESPN right now while also still listening to the show because Florida State's up 2-0, and if they win this game, it's over. The celebration would be for tonight, the double-digit Seminoles. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's Home Quote Explorer gives you multiple quote options, so you can pick what's right for you. See for yourself at Progressive.com. Coming up next... First we heard he looks terrible, then we heard he's a superstar. What to make of what's coming out of Packers camp? It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Also something to keep an eye on is the coverage of Jordan Love as the Packers slash Aaron Rodgers controversy continues. Uh, What I heard yesterday was a lot of, wow, this guy is not ready. It's very clear. He hasn't been playing at all. And, you know, the opening day starter for the Packers as of now is this kid, Woof. In fact, Rob Domovsky was on Get Up today, this morning, so before today's practices, and the ESPN Packers reporter laid it out pretty straight to Greeny. Well, yesterday it didn't go so well, Greeny. He was inaccurate, to say the least. But I want to tell you something that they're doing here that I've never seen before in my 25 seasons of covering the Packers. They gave Jordan Love just about every single rep in a team period. At one point, I counted 16 straight plays. Now, why is that different? It's because here's how they normally do it, Greeny. The starter would take four or five snaps. Then the backup would come in and take two or three. And then the third stringer would take one or two, and then they'd go back and start over again. Well, they're crash-coursing Jordan Love right now. And Matt LaFleur told us yesterday that Love needs, quote, all the reps he can get at this point. Okay. So there's that, which... I think Fitz, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it's kind of to be expected based on the fact that he's one of the very few top, you know, picks in in the NFL as a quarterback that hasn't then ever gotten into a game in the year or two after being drafted. Like, we shouldn't be surprised that he looks a little rough, right? Yeah, we shouldn't be surprised that he looks a little rough, and we shouldn't be surprised in my mind that he's getting a ton of reps because – Frankly, it's irresponsible right now for the organization to give anybody else one. I mean, if he's going to be handed the keys to this Porsche, he better know how to drive it, right? So uh, it makes total sense to give him a bunch of reps and to have him look a little rocky along the way. But then here's Rob Domovsky today. He tweets out, what a stretch for Jordan Love. Wheel route to A.J. Dillon, right sideline for 30 yards. Free play deep to Lazard for 45. Deep corner route to Juwan Winfrey for 30. Deep sideline to Aaron Jones for 30. He was so fired that tight end coach Justin Outen started fanning him. So is it possible that Jordan Love looked trash yesterday and then he looked fire for this stretch of play today? Absolutely. But it was interesting to read Fitz, and it had me wondering whether Rob Domovsky got a talking to from anybody at the Packers for being so blunt about just how bad he looked this morning on Get Up. I mean, it, it, there is going to be some maddening portion here where we're trying to figure out what's real through all of the the analysis of what is seen, and everybody's looking at him through such a magnifying glass right now, rightfully so, because of the situation surrounding him, that overreaction is going to be impossible to, to resist at some point. So I, I can't figure out, Sarah, because, you know, I heard a smart NFL mind a couple of days ago talking about the way we cover these mini camps so often saying hey 
you should look bad at times. You're taking chances. You're learning things. You're figuring right. your teammates out. Like so, so there is that some happened all the time. You remember last year um, in Buffalo? It was like we've never seen a quarterback have that many picks in a row, and everyone was like, Josh Allen's work, working on a ton of stuff, and now is the time to do that. And then he looks incredible in the season. Yeah, that to me is why I think I can take some encouragement if I'm a Packers fan about the fact that at times it doesn't look good, but I don't take any encouragement. If this turns into a glowing report card every day on Jordan Love, then I'm going to be very cynical very quickly. And that's just the the nature of the beast at this point. If everybody's just saying, oh my God, he looks lights out, uh, that that's not going to change the way I feel about the Packers coming into the season if Jordan Love is their starting quarterback. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. I also think, Fitz, whatever you're coming into this situation believing, you're going to look for confirmation bias in a place that probably shouldn't be trusted on either end, right? If someone looks fantastic in training camp practice, it doesn't mean they're going to have success live time against another team. And if they look terrible, to your point, could be working on something new, you know, could be... Uh, easing their way into a season. So whatever you think of Jordan Love, you're probably just looking for validation in the way that you react to any report that comes out, whether it's yesterday's or today's. I think part of, too, what we don't have enough information on but is really key here is how he's processing an offense that he knows. That's Mm -hmm. the thing. Like, is he making the right read? Is the ball going to the right place at the right time? Those are things that we don't – because we don't have the playbook in front of us, it's going to be really hard to know the answers to those questions. But that's a far bigger judge to me of where he is right now because right now is all about the mental aspect of it, right? So how's the studying been going? Like this this is like a daily pop quiz, and we get some indication of how he's retaining the information on what to do in that offense. That – is the most important part. But again, the Packers would sort of have to open us up to information to let us know that. And I don't know that they're going to do that in any way that doesn't have confirmation bias for them because everything right now is about the negotiations going on with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, the propaganda on either side of everything. Like, no matter who you're listening (laughs) to, you have to keep in mind that there's a lot on the line there. Uh, Fitz, you know, I wanted to to ask you quickly, too, about the Texans because you mentioned that there's no excuse for not giving – guys reps that need them in the case of Jordan Love he hasn't been in a game you got to see what you got and you got to give him the best chance to succeed if Aaron Rodgers does end up not being a part of this Packers team look at the Texans and it feels like they're potentially avoiding the conversation that at some point they'll have to have about Deshaun Watson by just not practicing which doesn't seem like a wise move just cancel mini camp i mean that to me it's kind of stunning when you're when you're a bad team and you're working in with a, a new, new head coach, right? You've got so <laughs> much maybe to no work quarterback. on. And it's like, guys, you know what? Hey, we're just we're gonna we're gonna pass. We've we've done everything we really need to do at this point. So <laughs> I I don't see a lot of benefit in get back on the field. This all comes back to they can't put in my mind they 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 can't put Deshaun Watson on that field. If they choose to not let him be around, then they're going to have to answer questions about it. If they choose to let him be around, they're going to have to answer questions about it. How they handle all of that just makes no sense. There's no easy way for them. So instead, yeah, they literally just call off the mini camp uh, at this point saying that uh, we fe- this is a quote. We felt like we needed to make sure that for at least a good four weeks during the offseason that we had as many players here as possible, this being voluntary. We've done that. Oh, Good. Awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> like, I, I, I'd be irate if I was a Texans fan. Well, uh, Terod Taylor might want a couple looks. Jeff Driscoll. Uh, there is a person on their depth chart named 
Davis Mills who might want some work. Uh, to your <laughs> point, uh, they did say the the direct quote about the the need uh, uh, for practice not uh, not being there for them was we've accomplished what we want to accomplish. Um, and I think that's pretty tough to believe, as you mentioned, with a brand new coach that has this hovering over them. And I, I agree with you. I think even though David Culley said, you know, this this decision isn't directly related to Watson, I think it's it's very clear that this helps them keep kicking the can down the road and not have to make a comment on it and not make a decision for a guy that it may not even be available. He could be put on, you know, the commissioner's exempt list uh, if there's a criminal, you know, complaint. Um, and and he's now telling teammates he wants to be traded to the Broncos, right? So Denver safety Kareem Jackson said Watson told him, you know, tell everyone I want to be in Denver. So add another little bit to this conversation. Um, and, yeah, unfortunately for the Texans, I guess that the only decision they felt was okay was just to keep kicking the can down the road. Mina Kimes is going to join us next to talk about maybe a little bit of this, but also her lifelong fandom of the Nets. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I said definitively – I was out on the Nets being able to win it all because continuity matters. Getting on the floor together matters. So much to figure out. Defense matters. I said it over and over and over again. And that means I owe apologies to all of the lifelong diehard Nets fans. So we found the only one that exists, and we're going to talk to her now. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. And we're going to head over to the Goodyear Hotline, where we are joined by none other than, I mean, this is really what defines the greatness of her work. Net superfan Mina Kimes joins <laughs> us on the show. Mina, your level of confidence in your beloved Nets after the first two games against Brooklyn uh, against Milwaukee, not just for this se- series, but to win it all is? Ooh, uh, I would say a lot higher than it was before the series, which sounds uh, <laughs> duh, obviously. But also, that's shocking because as soon as James Harden went out with an injury, I, I, I thought we were cooked, um, frankly, because you know I watched this team struggle without Harden during the regular season when they dropped two games. I thought for sure uh, Steve Nash, rookie head coach, wasn't going to make the necessary adjustments, would leave DeAndre Jordan out on the floor. I thought a million things. I thought Blake Griffin would get outclassed, and I've been proven wrong like a lot of people about these nests, and I couldn't be happier about it. Mina, I, I'm not going to take away from the greatness of this team, but there were questions about how they would fare in the postseason, mostly around their defensive capabilities. Now, what do you think is more likely, or maybe a combination of the two? Is it that just defense is majority effort, and now they care enough to be better at it? Or is it more likely that Nash is really out coaching Coach Bud and we get to a different matchup and we suddenly realize that they aren't quite as efficient on both ends of the floor as this Bucks squad because of their game plan is making them look? That's a great question. I think it's a combination of the two. I mean, you know, I mentioned DeAndre Jordan getting more minutes during the regular season, but that's gone with the more switch-heavy approach. But, you know, you can game plan, but – you also can have players like Griffin and Nick Claxton, the other young big, just show up and play incredible defense on Giannis, force him into some bad decisions. Some of those he's also made on their own, which we can talk about. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to Nash. Again, not every head coach would have made the decision not to play Jordan in the postseason so far. Meanwhile, effort can't be denied, too. I mean, the Nets... Uh, the effort that they've made on the boards is undeniable, not turning the ball over. They look incredibly 
disciplined. And the fact that they're holding the Bucks to as few points as they are, again, it's just not something I predicted even before the Harden injury. We're talking to Mina Kimes on Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Mina, we're going through an exercise on this show where I'm going to be picking my new passionate Major League Baseball team. We're doing a Major League Bachelor thing on the show. So I need your advice as a new fan that's a super diehard fan. Do you go – when you pick the Nets, did you go all in and get, like, a bunch of swag? Or did you, like, like decide piece by piece how to outfit yourself in a bunch of, like, merch? Because, as you well know, I own all Raiders gear, right? Like, so I'm trying to figure out if I go all in on the team or do I just, like, slightly start to nickel and dime it? Raiders gear would, by the way, work perfectly for the Nets. Same colors. Um, it's a great question, and I think I've got a surprising answer for you, which is that – Despite becoming a Nets fan on February 13, 2021, I own zero pieces of merchandise. Whoa. Not because I wasn't tempted to buy, you know, some uh, Basquiat t-shirts or whatever, but because as soon as I win on the Nets, they then win on a, like, 10-game winning streak. I think it was the longest in the history of the franchise, and I felt like I couldn't mess with a good thing by buying the wow. Harden jersey I so desired. So. My superstitious side outweighed my desire to troll our colleagues, and I remain merchless. Wow. You've been um, on speeches. the Jumbotron at the stadium for the team as a representative of the team and a fan, and yet you have zero merch. I, I can't reconcile those uh, things. You know, I care things. more about the win for them it's than so, anything. It's so true. It's not and about it's the hard. swag for you. It's about the heart and the soul that exactly. you dedicated to this team. It's all about Mina the Kimes, swag for me. Nets super fan with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio. Uh, we got on a tangent on this show with a number of polls, so I'm just going to give you a quick speed round and see where you stand on all these things. Are you ready? Great. Okay. Which was the better evil villain plus cat sidekick duo, Gargamel and Azrael or Dr. Claw and Mad Cat? Uh, I'll go with Dr. Claw and Mad Cat. Okay. Uh, What's the better theme song, Inspector Gadget or Pink Panther? Inspector Gadget is the one I know by heart. Wow. Mm. Henry Mancini. Can't believe you you went that way. Can you confidently say the word infinitesimally? And, unlike me, can you use it correctly? Uh, The Nets' chances of losing are infinitesimally... Crap, I can't say it! No! Yeah! (laughs) All right! You did. So the answer was no and yes. You can use it correctly, but you cannot confidently say it. Infinitesimally. Man, Yeah. You got to get through infinite first instead of skipping ahead to the esimile. Yeah, that's great. Infinite testimony. There you go. That was good. I I, I still maintain that if I even tried to type that in my phone, my phone would just say up yours and turn itself off. Yeah, not you, kiddo, is what it would say. Not you, kiddo. Not you, fat Uh, Jesus. Next one. Go ahead. uh, Final question. What's the worst reminder of what you ate for dinner? Asparagus pee or beet poops? I did not know the latter was a thing, so I'm going to oh, go really? with that just because <laughs> I don't need so a lot of beats and confused. You don't need a lot I of beats. I do not. Okay, well, I, there's actually I, an entire comedy sketch wow. about people calling 911 about poop in their blood, <laughs> and then the 911 operator's just like, "I'm so sorry, calm down, man. Calm down. Did you have beats for dinner? Oh, yep, that's wow. it. That's it. Yeah, you're doing okay. a public service by yeah, spreading this information in case anyone's me. concerned. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, I'm speechless at this point, Mina, but (laughs) I'm going to ask you one football question before we go, just because I feel like I can't leave you with beep poop. Uh, Jordan Love, (laughs) uh, 
uh, Jordan Love, lot of love. Suddenly, all of all of Yay. a sudden today, he's the he's the lifesaver. So, like, how do you read into any of this and, and try and figure out what's actual and what's not propaganda when it comes to Jordan Love reporting about how he looks at practice? Uh, or people reporting on him. I, I do like there was some Jordan Love was asked if he wanted to be the starter. He said, "Of course." And it's like, well, what is he going to say? No, I'd like <laughs> to be a backup forever and get zero reps. Um, you know, it, it's always hard this time of year because I think. We already knew Jordan Love had a great arm uh, and, you know, is incredibly athletic and has a lot of potential. But the questions are, you know, what is he going to look like when he's actually under center operating NFL offense that remain in the face of pressure that remains uh, unquestioned. I do think it's notable that the beat reporters who cover this team and, and have watched him, you know, since he got to Green Bay seem to be observing an improvement in accuracy on different throws, different parts of the field. Um does it mean anything? Probably not, is my answer. <laughs> uh, but I, I do think it's, it's important because, you know, we're not just talking about Jordan Love as a replacement for Rodgers. We're also considering the possibility that he'd be a trade target for another team at some point. So it's certainly in Green Bay's interest that he looks like the best quarterback possible, regardless of the outcome. You know, that's a great point, Mina, because I think one of the only solutions to this holdout is for them to find a new home for him and to declare their love for yeah. Rodgers for another couple years. And that does require <laughs> some positivity coming out of camp. Uh, thanks for the time, <laughs> Mina. Um, go eat a bunch of beets and then let us know. Yeah, I'm not going to do that, but I enjoy okay. talking to you guys. <laughs> All right. Nice talking to you. See you, Mina. Oh, man. Bye. Mina Kimes. Oh, Mina Kimes. Yeah. She's going to remember. Yeah, I, I don't know if she's going to say yes next time we ask her as quickly, but maybe we've done a uh, maybe we've done a public service for her. We Mina might Kimes. have. Uh, Brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Don't forget to follow her on Twitter, by the way, obviously, at Mina Kimes, and check her out on NFL Live uh, every single day, doing great work there with a great, great show for us. All right, there's this strange moment happening right now across the sports landscape. Cities are opening up, but it's not changing the requirements for teams. How is that all being dealt with in a COVID-19 world? We'll tell you about it. We'll break it down next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at Progressive.com. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. All of our guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah, some things get more complicated with time, and trying to figure out how to navigate COVID has obviously been so difficult for us as a as a world for a very long time at this point. And I, in some ways, I think we've almost gotten used to the constant conversation. But what happens when you start to see places opening back up and realizing that that doesn't necessarily mean that the rules are changing for different athletes. This becomes particularly important right now because every single time an athlete is at the podium, there's a chance they're going to be asked about it. We just saw it with the OTAs across the NFL. Uh, multiple prominent athletes asked about whether or not they're vaccinated, what their stance is on vaccinations. But it becomes complicated when the city that you live in might be open, but there are still rules that have been uh, decided upon for each league about what will cause relaxed uh, restrictions for each sport. So, for example, in the NFL, if 85% of your roster isn't vaccinated, then the restrictions are not uh, lessened. So it becomes a business conversation aside from just what the cities are trying to deal with. And that's not easy to negotiate for everybody involved. Yeah, Fitz, this is, uh, I think, something that part of the reason the conversation maybe lagged a little bit, or at least particularly on our end as a show that 
you know, even when it was Spain and company, spent months upon months discussing every single angle of how COVID was affecting life and sports is because there's been this time to allow people to go get vaccinated in different areas, maybe even waiting just to see how how other people took to it. Whatever reason that there might have been a delay, I think there was an intention to be patient and kind with people as they got themselves ready to go take this next step in our battle with COVID. The patient part is over to the point that if you look across to your point, you know, the bills at one at one time, and I don't know if this has been something that the NFL has confirmed that can can be done, but a politician in that area of the country said, we're not going to let fans in the stadium for this season if they're not vaccinated. There's at least a couple colleges I saw charging a fee for non-vaccinated students to come back to campus because of the cost of mandatory testing and things that they have to put in place for those who might be returning to campus continuing to spread a disease that has killed millions of people. In the case of sports, you mentioned that 85 percent Wrigley Field and, and the other ballparks and stadiums here in Chicago are opening up fully tomorrow or the next day, I think it is. And while the fans will be without restriction, the players on the Cubs won't be because they have not hit their 85 percent vaccination rate. We've heard Jed Hoyer, the GM, talk about how he's disappointed, publicly saying he's not sure if his team's ever going to reach that threshold. And he's had bad vaccination advocacy, education programs. He's took, you know, taken all the different means to try to educate them. And it's resulted in a whole lot of people offering up opinions, including actor and comedian Jeff Garland, who I think summed it up pretty well today on my guys Waddle and Sylvie show on ESPN 1000. Where are they getting their information from that they're not getting shots? Why, why would they not get inoculated? I don't get it. I find it disgusting because I don't think it's political. And I think it's your responsibility as a human being, part of the human race, to get that shot. And Mina Kimes, I think, was referencing a player earlier who used the specific doing their own research into the science on her social media. Because, Fitz, I'm done with the patience and I'm done with the, well, everyone has their own reason and they get to make up their own choice. No, this is the same as every other anti-vaxxer argument. You are taking years of science and experts and your argument against them is a YouTube video from a person that has no previous YouTube videos. Or one of three Instagram accounts that amount for almost every single conspiracy theory to tell you not to get the vaccination. It's just three accounts that are dominating all of the information that is turning people away from a life-saving measure that's not just necessary for you, but for everybody else. I don't understand how you could just react calmly to, I'm doing my own research. Why? Are you an epidemiologist? Do you know anything about vaccinations or or, or, or contagious diseases? Why would you know more? And why would the government be spending millions of dollars to try to convince you with everybody from Spike Lee to giving you free weed to get vaccinated unless it was really important? You you should have led, led with the free weed. I didn't know that was a possibility. Yeah, okay. they're giving away free <laughs> weed in certain areas where it's legal. And beer and million dollars. Like, you think places are doing that because they want to infect you with 5G? It's because we need this for our country to get back on track and not collapse again. It's because the COVID variant in the UK right now is disproportionately affecting young people. And if it gets over here... All you morons that don't think you need it because you think you're bulletproof are going to get it and suffer so much worse consequences than whatever you've imagined in your head that you'll get from the vaccination, which is nothing. We're all fine. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah so Spain, sorry. Jason this Fitz. was not going to be my approach to this segment. I'm just so annoyed.
I what I I do love and look, we both hear this uh, from haters in general that that don't like our work. One of the easiest things for people to come back and say to me whenever I'm covering college football, for example, is. You know, I didn't play the game, so obviously I shouldn't be listened to for any <laughs> college football opinion, which, you know, fine. If that's the angle that people want to take uh, for the work that I put in, I, I really don't care. But I do think it's funny that nobody looks at anybody when it comes to science and says, eh, you, you, you know, you, you didn't go to school for that. Like, it's not your career. Like, maybe stick to what you do. Uh, it is funny to me how that's uh, arbitrarily applied. That being said, Players are going to be asked about it because the thresholds make a difference. And, you know, I'll, I'll go back to uh, the Raiders were asked about it at their OTAs. And one of the players, Solomon Thomas, said that the team has actually discussed the competitive advantage of having players of vaccinated and eliminating restrictions. The less restrictions, the, the easier it is for you to have every edge that you can practicing. So even that is part of the conversation within locker rooms. But that means that every locker room is going to be asked about it, which also means there's a lot of power to the microphone. Sam Darnold, uh, we all know Sam from his time with the Jets, is now the starting quarterback, presumably, for the Panthers. He was asked about whether or not he's been vaccinated. This was his response. Still got to think about, you know, all those certain things that go into it. Um, again, it's it's everyone's choice um, whether they want to get vaccinated or not. Um, so that's really all I got on it. I don't want to go too into detail, but, um, yeah, I haven't been vaccinated yet. And the the thing here is, as he says it's everybody's choice, one thing he has to understand is that every microphone has power. We talk about that a lot. And so people will look at this and, and ask a lot of follow-up questions. And there's not going to be any hiding for players to, to make this decision either way. I think that's one thing that players need to understand is coming into this this season, much like I laughed yesterday at Garrett Cole for not being prepared to answer questions he should have known were coming about whatever he's using uh, when he's pitching. I don't know why NFL players aren't prepared for this question because they're all going to be asked about it because no matter what anybody would think about it one way or the other, there is some level of action has consequence to the way NFL teams are allowed to practice and be in the facility. So it's a fair question for a sportscaster to ask or for a journalist to ask covering a sports team, knowing that it has ramifications for that team. And Fitz, by the way, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio. It's not lost on me the irony that Sam Darnold missed three weeks of a 16-week season for a contagious disease, right? It doesn't matter. But the idea that this guy who has already missed time because of mononucleosis is out here trying to explain that I'm going to do my own research and look up all the stuff for this instead of listening to scientists and doctors and experts. And yeah, part of sports is availability, and you are going to be available to play if you're vaccinated and you are not contaminated, nor are you contaminating the people around you. So, yeah, we can ask questions about that. And your answer should be better than I'm going to do my own research. I still looking into all the facts. That's all they ever say, because Fitz gets what if they offer up con con concrete reasons that they don't want to get it. Those reasons will be blasted wide open with facts. They don't well, want to put anything out there that anyone's going to be able to say this is wrong. And at some point, you know, every league's going to continue to tell us what their protocols will be going into the fall on contact tracing and what mm -hmm. it means for anyone that has a positive test. That's all going to be part of the reality that's not going anywhere. Uh, we'll keep you informed on that. But in the meantime, big night in the NBA. We're going to join, be joined next by one of the, our favorites on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And every once in a while when we have one of our favorite people on the show, we do a little something called 
Hi, Fran. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. Hi, friends. Say hello to my little friend. He's my friend because we both know what it's like to have people be jealous of us. Alone. Bad. Friend. Good. And we're the best friends that anyone could have. We're the best friends that anyone could have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. You got this. Horn panelist, ESPN NBA reporter, longtime friend of the show, Izzy Gutierrez joins us. Hi, Fran. Hi, Fran. I don't know why I had to say it like that, too, but hi, Fran. This was a little southern drawl. It was very drawn out. It was a long hi, Fran. I feel like he was saying hi to me, too, that way. Like, a little southern drawl. He was including the southern vibes. Izzy, uh, give me one thing that would make you believe that the Bucks could. Get back in the series with the Nets. One thing, not a not a wild scenario, not an injury to all the best players on the Nets, but an actual change in strategy. Um, stop playing Brooke Lopez. Mm. Um, and I know that sounds crazy because he's not a big that can't shoot. He's a big that can shoot very well, but he's also defensively um, with what Brooklyn wants to do. Um, probably a liability offensively. Um, you know, I think they could be a lot more free, a lot more open, um, a lot more movement uh, without him um, and see if, you know, you use downsides and see if that works for you. Like, it's crazy to think about because, you know, he, uh, uh, it, meaning Brooke Lopez, was kind of the main difference in that Miami series and, you know, really sh- taking away Bam Adebayo and being an immense presence by the rim. But it doesn't really matter that much against the Nets. And so you're basically taking all of his strengths away and exposing his weaknesses. And I would say that would be the one extreme thing that could put them back in it. So, Izzy, let's play the blame game for a second and just put out like a pizza that they get to split. Who gets the majority of that mm. pizza? I mean, is it is it Giannis? Is it Coach? Is it uh, the, the players as a whole? Like, who's who's to blame for why, where we are now with Milwaukee? Man, this pizza has some variety on it because I think it's like it's almost equal parts because like Giannis, I mean, who leads the way first, the coach or the superstar? I would say the coach, um, you know, really hasn't helped the situation. You know, early on in this series, the way they were playing or even in that second game, the way they were playing um, Kyrie Irving on the pick and roll was just it was terrible. And that's, a, you know, it was the first time that I thought <clears throat> that they shouldn't play Brooke Lopez because if that's the way Mike Budenholzer is going to use him, then you know, then he's making a huge mistake. And so I think strategically, you know, that's, that's something that deserves a good amount of blame. But then I also believe that Giannis <clears throat> kind of leads the way on the court and he didn't seem aggressive. He was pulling up for jumpers. He was allowing, you know, Blake Griffin to defend him when he has no business being able to defend him. And so there's that part. And then there's, you know, the element of other guys not really helping out. And Chris Middleton, I mean, He's got to be somebody that, you know, is not a front runner, right? He's got to be able to contribute when things are going south. And it's, this is just a complete guess here. It just feels like his confidence kind of wanes. It feels like it comes in and out um, depending on, you know, how well he's playing at the start of the game. And so um, he just wasn't there either, um, along with, you know, other guys, shooters, et cetera. So um, I'd say it's pretty, pretty spread out, the blame. Izzy Gutierrez with us here on Spain and Fitz, giving you the info that's going to get you in the zone. Get in the zones brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. 
Also in the zone, the incredible team effort from the Suns. And I think some of the questions about this team came from the fact that it took a little while for them to meld together and gel and for it to become less about you than you than you than you instead being a unified group. There's a great story from Zach Lowe up now about their incredible pick and roll and how it's picking apart the league. Do you feel differently about the Suns this far into the postseason than maybe you did at the end of the regular season in terms of how far they could go? I am willing to admit that, yes. Um, and it's because, you know, this is something we all do, and I don't know really who's to blame for it, but um, when we, when I was looking at this team, I was looking at them individually as, you know, Chris Paul, great leader, great addition, definitely going to get you to the playoffs, but, you know, where has he been? What's his ceiling? If he's your, you know, primary guy, same thing with Devin Booker. It's like, okay, he's a, he's a quality scorer, I don't know how well-rounded his game is necessarily. I don't know against elite defenses in the seven-game series if he's going to be able to get his own. So there's like a, a, a predetermined ceiling there. DeAndre Ayton's another one, right? Like a great talent. Um, probably, I mean, not probably, definitely still have to give him time to develop. Right. But, you know, and if, he is your, right. Right, if he's your best big man, like you, don't, you have a ceiling there. But... You know, this is very much an example of, you know, uh, the sum of the parts is, is, is greater because, you know, they play well together because Chris Paul's game lends itself, obviously, to good teamwork. Same with Devin Booker, frankly, because he opens up the floor for others. Same with DeAndre Ayton because he doesn't demand the ball and is a finisher and can, you know, fill in spots in the offense. And Mikhail Bridges, the same. So they seem to be a great fit that adds to those individual talents. So I do think it it creates a situation where I believe they can go further than maybe uh, I did earlier. And frankly, I'd say things, uh, not that you're going to ask me this, but I would say the same about the Utah Jazz, given how well they share the ball and make each other better as a whole. So, Izzy, this is like my favorite question to ask about once a week to good basketball minds that come on the show. A simple, complicated answer. Who's the best team in the West right now? Um... (laughs) I'm going to lean Phoenix, um, I, but I believe the answer to that is in that series. Um, I believe it's either Phoenix or Denver. I think Denver still has something more they can show you than they did in that first game against Phoenix. I mean, they lost the first game against Portland as well, I believe. Um, but that is a great question anytime you want to ask it <laughs> because – um, I think it's the lesser of the two conferences in terms of, you know, the top, the top uh, of the conferences. So, I mean, it's a long way to say I think the champion's going to come out of the East, so it probably doesn't really matter who's the top in the West. But I do think right now it's Phoenix, and I really want to see uh, the Nuggets' response because I want to say the Nuggets. Anybody else get, like, emotional when, like, Nikola Jokic won MVP or had, like, that interview with the TNT guys, I, I felt that, like, a little very differently than Garrett, other MVPs. I don't know very why. Garrett Cole answer of you, by the way. Uh, he asked you a very easy <laughs> question, and a half hour later, by the way, Garrett Cole, uh, <laughs> Cade Donaldson in their first meeting tonight didn't plunk him uh, if you were keeping track of that. Um, yes, it was emotional uh, that someone who got drafted during a Taco Bell commercial uh, and was one of the lowest <laughs> drafted players ever to end up becoming an MVP. Uh, yeah, there was a lot there. And and I think, um, to your point, the, the East is looking stronger right now, but that's basically the Nets, right? The Nets and the Sixers are the two teams 
that um that you know feel like they might run away with this yeah and i sort of formulated that thought of like a week or a week and a half ago where i thought milwaukee was also and frankly i had them as a favorite coming out of these um and so it changed a little bit you're right um because i don't think as highly of milwaukee but it is essentially like if you're going like if you're going to be that good where you turn Milwaukee into what they're starting to turn them into um, without having any sort of track record of being able to play defense, but uh, it's starting to seem like your overwhelming offense is, is a pretty good way to uh, a version of defense. Um, then I think you're just that, that good. And if they're going to you know run past Milwaukee, they're probably going to run past Philadelphia and win the championship and look exactly, you know, like one of those super teams that we've seen in the past. Um, that we just didn't really recognize early enough exactly how good they would be. Um, but if Milwaukee can come back, I think there's like three teams in the East that, that are better than any than the teams in the West. But, mm. you know, I'd be more than happy to be pleasantly surprised because I love the way the teams in the West play. Yeah, I, I agree with you, especially about the Jazz. Like Donovan Mitchell, they haven't lost a game that he's been in. And whatever questions Shaq might have had about his toughness or his play in the clutch, mm-hmm. he's been answering all of them. Uh, thanks for the time, Izzy. Bye, Fran. Bye, Fran. Bye, bye, friends. Uh, decent, decent. I want a little more investment, but not bad for the first time. It's Main Event, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. Coming up, it is our last show of the week, so even though it's not a Friday, we're going to make some bad decisions as if it was. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Sarah Spain. It's Jason Fitz. It's a Wednesday, but it's our last show of the week. All sorts of NBA basketball bumping us, maybe some baseball, too. I didn't check the schedule because I'm not on it. I got plans, baby. Woo! They're probably with my couch and some wine, but they are plans. It's ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can get all the good stuff that you might have missed, including sometimes a little after-party, a little pre-party. We're going to get back to those coming up soon. Uh, we got a bunch of polls to pay off really quick, Fitz, because we asked people a lot of questions today. Very, very important questions. And it started with this one. Which was the better evil villain plus cat sidekick duo? Gargamel and Azrael, 53% gets the win. Dr. Claw and mm. Mad Cat at mm. 47%. A lot of write-in votes for Mr. Big, or Mr. Dr. Evil and Mr. Bigglesworth. Uh, also, Mr. Big, great tune, just to be with you. Oh, uh, yeah. That was not a write-in vote. That's and Mr. Me. Big also, Sex in the City. That's what I always think uh, of. Mr. Mr. Big, Big, Sex in the City, yeah. yeah. Uh, another question. What's the better theme song, <laughs> Inspector Gadget or Pink Panther? Pink Panther, 57.8%. Inspector Gadget. Uh, 41. Yeah, Thank I mean, God. it was the right answer. Henry Mancini is a classic. Uh, Inspector Gadget, good tune, though. Excellent tune. Yeah, also, and by uh, the way, I did also, I, I tried to always song. get uh, Pink Panther worked into fiddle solos whenever I could. Like, nice. That's a, it's a, like it's a favorite for me, yeah. It's a good one. Uh, can you confidently say the word infinitesimally? And unlike me, can you use it correctly? Uh, 41.9% said no and no. 41.7% said yes and yes. And 16.4% went with yes and no. I didn't think there were any Minas out there, so I didn't put no and yes as an option. But as it turns out, you can know how to use it and not know how to say it. So my bad on not including that as an option. Finally, how, how, wait, how many people said yes and yes? 41.7%. 41.7% of the listeners to the show are liars. That's what we Yeah, I think learning. they're liars. I, uh-huh. I think they're like Mina, who said sure and then tried to say it and was like, oh, no. Uh-huh. So I think none of them said it out loud. They just uh, infinitesimally. No, you skipped a whole part. Infinitesimally. Anyway, moving on. The final question was, of course, what's the worst reminder of what you ate for dinner? Asparagus pee, 64.3%. Beet poops, 357 And I contend 
that beet poops are actually a worse reminder because you forget for a minute much more clearly. Asparagus pee, you're like, I know what that smell is. Beet poops, you're like, oh, no. Oh, yeah, I just ate beets. I think a lot of people just haven't experienced that because they don't eat enough beets. I've learned that through the comments. Like, a lot of people just don't eat beets. So get out there and try your beet. Beets are delicious. Don't think of them as, like, the slimy stuff on the salad bar. A good beet with, like, some walnuts, some citrus wedges, a little goat cheese, and it's delicious. Chef's kiss. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. If you missed uh, some of our cartoon conversation from earlier that inspired somehow all of those polls, here's what it sounded like. This is Spain and Fitz. The Clippers have one method right now, and that is, you know, Kawhi stands at midcourt, raises his sword, and screams... Turns into a full <laughs> E-man, and then all of a sudden you can't stop him. So I guess, great game. I guess that would make Donovan Mitchell Skeletor. As long as nobody came in, as like Shira was underrated and all of that. Shira stuff, was amazing. Did Skeletor I mean, have the cat? No, that was somebody else that had the cat. Yeah. This is the analysis you can only get <laughs> on Spain <laughs> and Fitz. All right, we'll also talk oh, about some right. NBA. Doctor Claw. Doctor Claw that. had the pet cat. Yeah, that, that led to all of us. That led to all the magic that you just heard. Uh, uh, those tangents are an important part of, of your listing because it led us. To give you the the important announcement that beets make your poop look bloody. And and you needed to know that, some of you. Because uh, when you go out and you explore the beet world, I don't want you to be surprised. It is a Wednesday, Fitz. And normally we save Sports Tinder for Friday. But we're not going to have a Friday show. So along with y'all, we're going to do some swiping and bad decision making. Sports Tinder. That's right. Sports Tinder. We ask questions, sometimes relating to sports, sometimes not. And then we ask a question. If we swipe right, we agree. Swipe up, we really agree. Swipe left, we disagree. Swipe down, we hate it. And let's start with Aaron Rodgers, who's getting a lot of conversation for not showing up to minicamp. And there's a solution out there. A adult entertainment site, if you will, mm-hmm. has offered the superstar quarterback $100,000. That would easily cover that $90,000-plus fine he might get. All he has to do is broadcast himself on the adult platform now. It's not what you think. They don't need him to do the sexy time stuff. They just need him to sing some Taylor Swift songs or talk about what's going on with the Packers or talk about Jeopardy or play with his footballs is what they said. So I guess the question is, obviously, Fitz, should he take the deal? Uh, I'm going to swipe up super like. Oh, yeah, you take the deal and you sing Taylor Swift. Like you get out there, you show the world what you look like singing Taylor Swift. And, uh, you know, you're going to make that side a lot of money, but you're going to get the hundred grand covered. So I, I feel like it's a good idea for him. The Swifties will love it, too. Listen, your answer is correct, but your logic is terrible. And I'll tell you why. I'm also going to swipe up. Swipe up. Super like. And because you seem to have missed the video of him already singing Taylor Swift. You just said you could show the world what it looks like when you sing Taylor Swift. He already did that in Hawaii with his friend Miles Teller and his fiance Shailene Whitley and whoever's married to Miles Teller. It was on the social medias, Fitz. And he didn't know the words to the one, which is a great tune. So this is a makeup time, and I think you should do it. I'm unimpressed by him. That's all I'm you saying. Didn't, you didn't see it. You missed un- it. Un- yeah. Well, you know. Keep up, bro. Aaron right. and I have beef. I got beef. I got beef. I, we don't need to hear it for the millionth <laughs> time that he wasn't impressed with your fiddle solo and so you're I'm still not impressed mad with about this Taylor Swift. Wow. You are so salty about that. You're never going to let it go. Ever. Okay. All right. Moving on, next question, sports tender. LeBron James reportedly said to change his number from 23 to 6 next year, the number he wore during his four-year run with the Miami Heat. Is this because he wants to rekindle the success of that run in Miami? Is it because 
He's going to don the new number in Space Jam, A New Legacy. That seems like a wild decision. I mean, he's changed numbers during his career before. He's worn number six before. But changing it for Space Jam? All right. Is this a good move? I'm going to swipe down. I hate it. Uh, and look, I on the one hand, I always look at an athlete and say, wear whatever number you want. But in the world of like chasing the Joneses and everybody trying to get the keeping LeBron up with swag, the it, uh, it it's <laughs> yeah, keeping up with the Joneses is probably more accurate. <laughs> I guess it's if you're chasing them, it's different. How you keep up. But yes, you know, uh, uh, I think that at some point you got to look at, at the cost for this for so many people that their kids are going to come in and want. Uh, like my heartbreaks for families that struggle to afford NBA jerseys; they're not inexpensive. And now you got to go out and buy all the new LeBron stuff because you don't want your kid to have the old LeBron stuff because they don't want to feel dumb. Like, so I just, that heartbreak, heartbreak for me. All right, let me tell you a little bit of a story about LeBron James and his numbers, okay? He wore number 23 for Michael Jordan. He said, I wanted to fly like him. I wanted to, you know, stick my tongue out like him. I wanted to be MJ. So I wore 23 from the beginning. But then when he got to the heat, he decided to wear number six and he said he wanted to honor Jordan's legacy. And he said that the number should be retired across the league, that no one should ever wear it. He's starting a petition. Now, if I'm not going to wear number 23, then no one else should be able to wear it. And the rest of the league was like, nah, bro, we're good. So then when he went to Cleveland, he just went back to wearing 23 again, despite petitioning for no one to wear it. And now he's switching again because of a movie where he's copying Michael Jordan. You'd be thinking my answer would be this is a bad move. But my answer is actually... Swipe up. Super like. And here's why. It's a good move because get that 23 off of you. You never deserved it in the first place. 23 is Michael Jordan, and you were right. No one else should ever wear it, and especially not you, even though you're one of the greatest of all time. You're still not Michael. Go back to six. Although changing your number again because of a movie that's a sequel to a better movie with a better player... Weak sauce. All right, finally, Spain and Fit, Sports Tinder. If someone, let's just say it was our producer, Stash, who was just on vacation. If someone says the best wine they've ever had is peanut butter and jelly wine, can you say with certainty that they've never had any good wine, Fitz? I am going to swipe. Swipe left. I'm going to give Stash a little benefit of the doubt. Like, canned wine's gotten good. Like, I like... You know, oh, you got no. these sours that they have that taste like oh, key lime pie and stuff that you know, oh, for the beer no. fanatics. So maybe, oh, maybe no. peanut butter jelly wines, where it's at. Stash, oh, I'd have no. a glass with you. That's all I'm saying. You would. You might you be getting a bottle trash, soon. Trash palette. I'm going to swipe up. Super like. <laughs> yeah, you can't say with certainty that they've never had good wine. And I'll tell you, one of the first wines that I liked when I hadn't had any good wine was called like jam jar or something. And no, no, you know, shade to them, but it tasted a lot like jam. And wine is supposed to taste like wine, which you would know if you had good wine. Gonna but I'm glad you liked bottle. it, Stosh, or whoever this someone was in this case. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio.